I want to talk about this morning, October 27th, 2012. In October 27th, 2012, is that the right date? October 27th? Wait, what did... Oh, see? Oh, my goodness. This is bad. This is embarrassing. <laughs> I already forgot my own daughter's birthday. Wow. Okay, see, this is, this is starting off great. And I have this written down. This is kind of embarrassing. Um, so my son's birthday is October 30th. I don't know how to use this, so um, we'll just leave it there. So my son's birthday is October 30th. It's all right, Paul. Um... And my daughter's birthday is July 27th, 2012. So July 27th, 2012, my life changed forever. And truthfully, it changed several months prior than that when my wife, Karina, told me she was pregnant in a Wendy's restaurant. Now, it was at the Wendy's. It was at the Wendy's. I'm not getting any love for Wendy's this morning, am I? It was at the Wendy's restaurant on 92nd and Sheridan. Anyone been to that Wendy's? Yes, Lisa's my Wendy's. All right, Lisa and I, we'll go have some Wendy's after church. Yeah. So it was at the Wendy's um, at 92nd and Sheridan, and we went, my wife and I went after work when she told me she had something special to tell me. And uh, yes, Wendy's is not the most special place. But we were both in school, and we were on a limited income budget, so Wendy's was what we could afford at that time. So I remember sometime during the, during the course of our meal, Rena handed me, or Karina uh, handed me a package to open, I think it was, and I, she tells me that it was a, a onesie, right? And uh, um, I'll confess, my response was not the most enthusiastic. I'll take ownership. Are there any any dads in here who can relate? Yeah. You're all perfect, perfect dads, super enthusiastic. I was not the most uh, enthusiastic. And here's the thing. I tend to stress and worry a lot. So I was super anxious about how we're going to afford life with this new baby. Plus, I was very experienced when it comes to caregiving. Uh, to that point, I'd never even changed a diaper before. So up until Lexi's birth, I was very nervous about how I was going to be able to do as a father, whether I was going to be able to provide adequate, adequate caregiving and cut it as a good, loving father. Now, thankfully, I think I've grown a lot according to that or in that regard, as I hope my wife could attest. And I remember that first day in the hospital. Actually, by then, it was like the third day, I think, but... That's another story for another time. The birth went a long time. But the day that the hospital that Lexi was born, I remember the nurse changing Lexi's diaper, and I jumped up because I wanted to help change the diaper, and I sort of changed it, and then the nurse had to come in and, and help tidy things up a little bit. But I did it somewhat, some way, because um, I wanted to be a supportive father and husband. And in the six years since, Lexi... And now Jackson, they have changed my life in ways that I never would have imagined. Mostly for good, right? Mostly for good. Okay, that was supposed to be a joke. Mostly for good. <laughs> I will say, though, it has been an incredible joy and just amazing experience to watch 
uh, likes to grow, and now I get to do it over again with Jackson. One of my favorite things to do, and if you're a parent, you probably have done this at some point, uh, is to just when they're when they're you know when they're really young, is just look them in the face, and you smile, and their cute little face, see that smile appear in their cute little face. It just it melts your heart. It really does. I really believe that children are an amazing, incredible, wonderful gift to the world. Their preciousness and their innocence overwhelms me, and I repeatedly find myself thanking God for the gift of life and love embodied in children. I think this is an obvious truth we could all agree with, right? Children are bundles of pure good. That would be something we can say amen to, right? right. Amen. I agree. Yes, there are times they wake up screaming in the middle of the night. Getting some head nods. There are times they wake, or we wake in the morning, to find them playing with the contents of their diaper. Anyone ever had that? Yes. Once, thank God, once. There are times they refuse to go to bed. Too many times. And there are times they just drive us crazy. Crazy. Last night, crazy. But I am convinced that children are the purest form of good in our world. Amen, right? Now, to me, that's an obvious one, right? Children are pure good. I really believe that. But growing up, and especially when I was in Bible college, I was taught the exact opposite, if you'd believe it. I remember hearing again and again that humans have what's called a sin nature, meaning that we are inherently flawed, and that this uh, malfunction, if you will, is evident in every human, especially children. I mean, it sounds crazy to even hear myself say it, but I remember hearing it over and over, that when I had children, I would see for myself this evidence of sin nature in children. I mean, seriously, I remember being told this. But, but it confounds me because I think, like, even to this, I think to this day, who looks at their children and thinks to themselves, wow, these children are fundamentally flawed. I mean, who thinks that, right? Yet, despite this lunacy, if I can be honest, that's my opinion, segments of Christianity have taught this for decades. Hundreds of years, even. Now, let's be honest. That's not to say that we don't do things we shouldn't, right? We don't make poor choices. We don't take actions that have negative consequences. Things that historically Christians have called sin. This is all true. We could all admit this, right? But this idea that we are fundamentally flawed, especially as children, is I think it's just plain messed up. I'd really like to say what I really think it is, but we're in the school and in church, so I won't say what I really think it is. Right? Yet this idea that we are flawed, even as children, I think has been a dominant force in American culture for years. You know, I think, you know, the insistence for, for a long time of corporal punishment of because you don't want to spare the rod and spoil the child. Or the saying that children are better seen than heard. Or even this insistence that 
children begin acting as miniature adults as soon as possible. Now, thankfully, our understanding of child development has come a long way and benefited our culture for good. Yet now we have corporations who are marketing to our kids at the earliest ages, trying to turn them into lifelong consumers. For whatever reason, at some fundamental level, it seems to me that we as society have this idea that children just need to hurry up and become adults. I think it's messed up, honestly. And truthfully, I think it's the opposite of what we see Jesus doing in scriptures. In the book of Mark, again, Mark is in the New Testament, the second part of the, the Bible. And Mark is writing what's called gospel, which we talked about last week. Gospel means good news. So Mark is telling a good news story about Jesus. And one of the stories he includes in his overall story is about um, Jesus encountering children. So it's in the gospel of Luke, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. I'm going to read it here for you real quick. But in this passage, uh, Jesus is sitting around talking with different people. And in the course of his conversation, some children come forward and their parents are seeking that they be blessed and the disciples shoo them away. So I'll read it here. And if you're you're welcome to follow along, if you have uh, your Bible with you, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 it says, people were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me, do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up into his arms, laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. Pretty simple story, right? Jesus sees kids, he welcomes them, and he loves them. Now what's interesting, is we think about this in our context, it seems like an obvious thing to do. You see children, you give them a hug, you wish them well on their day. Now we have to remember about the context that Jesus was living in. In that time and place, first century Israel... Jesus was known to be a healer. So in a time and a place where childhood mortality was prevalent, having Jesus bless your children would be seen as very beneficial. But the disciples shooed the kids away. And when Jesus found out, he was obviously upset. Let the children come to me and do not stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Then he welcomed the children picked them up in his arms, hugged them, and blessed them. Really a wonderful, special story about the love and character of Jesus. And also I think about the value and blessings of children. But I, I want to quickly pause here and talk about the kingdom of God, right? That term, the kingdom of God. Uh, I talked about it here at the beginning, we, and we said the Lord's Prayer, which talks about the kingdom of God. And like I've mentioned, we're starting a new series, message series called Upside Down, which talks about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God flips expectations on how things should be in which we treat and the ways in which we treat one another. So to give a little bit more backstory here, um, Jesus lived in a pretty polarized 
political context. We like to think that we live in a pretty polarized context now, which we do. But honestly, Jesus probably would look at our time and say, hey, it doesn't got nothing on what I lived through. And the reason is because he lived in first century Israel, like I said, which had been conquered by the Roman Empire. Yeah, that Roman Empire. Some hundreds of years before. And um, the, the leaders of Israel, in order to not be completely obliterated by the Romans, had made this deal with the Romans that they could maintain local control as long as they kept you know, everybody in line, as long as they collected enough taxes. So it doesn't sound like much necessarily, but in essence, Jesus lived in a time where his own countrymen had allied themselves with the occupying empire and were collecting ridiculous amounts of taxes in such that it left the multitudes really poor and just desperate and in many cases uh, without land or hope or future. So the point is that when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about something that stands in stark contrast to the way things were during his time as instead proposing how things would be different if God were in charge. So in a time and place where childhood mortality was rampant, and children oftentimes perhaps were seen as just another mouth to feed for a family that was already struggling to make ends meet, Jesus welcomes the children. He blesses the children. And more often than not, he feeds the children. And what's so cool is that Jesus said that the children were an example of how someone living according to God's kingdom should be. Children, an example. In other words, I think Jesus was saying that children are inherently good. Now, if you're like me, you probably find yourself sometimes stuck in the middle of this tension. This tension within our society that loves and values children but also seems to want to grow up our children as fast as possible into adults. Like we think children's love and kindness is cute, but also like the sooner they grow up and realize that the world is harsh and uncaring and unkind, the better. For some reason, like we just accept that as, well, that's the business world or whatever, that the world is just that, and we just accept that, and we, just, for some reason, we're okay with, with, uh, you know, we want our children to be cute and kind when they're young, but then we want them to grow up and be harsh and uncaring. Listening to myself say it, it sounds just a little chaotic, but that's what we seem to promote somehow, and that's what we seem to expect from kids. And what, what I think this kind of dichotomy, if I can use that big word, this tension, this, this contrast, it's, to me at least it seems to cause us to believe that our childhood self, who we were, is something we need to grow out of. And we need to take on the ways of the broader culture. We're essentially taught then that being caring and kind and loving, to give that up, and in some ways be cold-hearted and scheming. Hmm. Now, I'm not a child psychologist by any stretch. 
But I think this way of thinking and living in the world somehow convinces us that we are deep down inherently flawed. So whether it's from a religious upbringing or from the messages we receive from our culture, we tend to hear over and over again that who we are deep down is not good enough. And again, I'm not a counselor or trained psychologist, but I think that that message, whether we take it out loud or just uh, inferred, is not a good message to take in. And I believe Jesus would say the exact opposite. I believe Jesus would say that who you are is fundamentally good, that who you are at your deepest level is who God made you to be, who God wants you to be. And I believe that Jesus would say that you are loved by God Even your supposed warts and flaws, God adores. And I especially this morning want to affirm this to LGBTQ LGBTQ plus persons. That God loves you as you are. God values you and you are who you are supposed to be. I truly believe that in finding our true selves, we find who God wants us to be, who God made us to be. And I think this is often a life Time process of peeling away and letting go of the layers that get stuck upon us. That expectations, culture, others put upon us and say, this is who you're supposed to be, rather than being who we are and who God made us to be. You know, it's interesting that Jesus says elsewhere in Scripture that in losing our life, we find new life. And I think this is kind of what he meant So this morning, if nothing else, please hear this. Please leave this place with a deep down knowledge and assurance that who you are is fundamentally good and that God loves you deeply and immensely. Know that this morning. I mean, that's that's good news that we all need to hear. And what the better news is, is that We can share that good news with others. As we go from this place, knowing that we are deeply loved and and shared, we can also remember that there are countless people in our community who need to hear that good news. And this is the cool thing. We together, you and I, have the opportunity and the ability to share that good news with people who need to hear it. We've talked a lot about children this morning, or I have at least. And I think we'd all agree, right, that for us, growing up was no picnic. We all had our struggles and difficulties. But I can't imagine being a kid today with all the pressures and expectations and technology. Youth and kids seem to have it harder today than ever. Maybe we always say that, I don't know. But it just seems like that. Did you know, would you believe, I guess, that suicide is the second leading cause of death for young people aged 10 to 24. I can't believe it. It's shocking. And what's worse is when a teenager or young person uses social media, those risks rise even more. And when a person is young, when they use social media and they identify as LGBTQ+, those risks rise exponentially more. I mean, wasn't it just a couple of months ago that a nine-year-old boy committed suicide shortly after coming out as gay? Nine years old. 
as scary as and, and as tragic as these statistics are, there is reason to hope. Experts tell me that one of the best ways to help is church, if you believe it or not. Church can be one of the best ways to support young people, to give them a place of encouragement, a place of welcome, a place of love, where they can be who God made them to be. And guess what we are this morning? We're a church. There are so many people around us who need to hear this good news. And the amazingly incredible opportunities that we, together, you and I, have the opportunity and ability to share this good news with people who need to hear it. By telling our friends and neighbors about this church, by financially supporting this church, by volunteering our time and energy to help this church, we can spread the good news of God's love and welcome to the people in this community who who need to hear the good news. People are literally dying for lack of good news. What an amazing difference we can make together. Remember this. Share this. Who we are at our deepest level is fundamentally good. God loves us deeply and immensely and unconditionally. This is the good news 